What the? Mike, did you pick this? What? Hey, welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm Dr. Michael Terrian. And I'm Scott Lieb. We're two friends who are following Jesus into the joys and challenges of everyday life. Well, good morning. Hello. Hello. Hi. We're back. We are back for another another special episode of the Wise Guys Podcast. Yes. Indeed. All right. What are we doing? Well, um, if you remember from last time, mm. we are going to continue to unpack the uh, the conversion stories that we Ooh. told last time. Nice. So this will be like maybe like a three part mm. episode on metanoia. Ooh. On the process. Remind of remind me and everybody else. Metanoia. So yeah. fancy sounding. Yeah. Well, it's just. Um, it's a fancy Greek word mm. that refers to that turning or that transformation. Awesome. That uh, we are called to. That everybody is called to. Yes. Okay, good. And, uh, and, and we, you know, in, that, in our first sort of episode in this series, we, we looked at the metanoia process that we think Jesus mm. sort of models. That's right. Just beginning with that encounter. Yeah. And then moving towards growth and self-awareness and self-knowledge and knowledge, which then leads to a deeper integration of ourselves, and then ultimately we're called out mm-hmm. to others, to move out to others and, um, and share so funny. the good news. seems so simple when you say it. Yeah, see, <laughs> well, hopefully uh, our stories last week indicated just how, well, how different everybody's story is yeah. and, uh, and how how complicated the journey can be and yeah. how many layers and sort of interior textures of, yeah. of that journey can be. So yeah. we thought this time maybe we would just unpack this story. We told the stories last week, but mm-hmm. maybe dig into the stories and sort of pull it apart a little bit to try to get a better understanding of, you know, how we experienced God working on us, I think would be good. And then yeah. how really the that, that conversion experience really marks a beginning point because we continue yeah. to experience conversion and uh, growth uh, and Jesus continues to work on us yeah and stuff so okay, I thought maybe cool. we could dive into that yeah so All right so how do you want how do you want to well, start this I mean thing? maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll, I'll lead here with with just digging into some aspects of this of, of your story that yeah. I'll just kind of ask you a question you can dive into that but sure but I remember as I recalling the story and of course you know I know the story because you've told it to me before but um, <laughs> so many times yes yeah. but uh, but no I um, but I was struck and, and and I've been struck by this before because you've said this that you know when you were younger uh, you you always felt you know, there was a, a slightly rebellious spirit in you. Like, you yeah. always like to push the envelope and and always come up to the line but never cross it. Yeah. But in my mind, um, you know, there 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 is a way in which it seems like you, you did cross the line when it came to the pornography issue. And, um, and, and I know you have something in mind when you say you didn't cross the line. Like, what I'd like to know more about what that meant, but... But then, more importantly, I think, you know, getting over that kind of addiction doesn't just happen because you wake up one day and you decide <laughs> that Gosh. you're just going to stop. But, if it were only that simple. But, 
um, but there's a process of healing and yeah, and so you yeah. know, like sort of post conversion, once you kind of came to the realization that this is something that needed to change, yeah, and and you needed to move past and beyond in your life, yeah, maybe you can unpack a little bit about how the Lord yeah. led you through that transformation. Yeah. Okay. So uh, first things first, I would say, like in my whenever I talk about not crossing the line. Um, for the most part, it was a very, I guess what I mean is it didn't extend into an external projection of that. In other words, like, yeah, my, my deep dive, uh, sadly, and it's, it's funny because even, even telling it right now and thinking about it, that, that moment of my life, like those, those years of my life, um, brings a lot of like sadness to me um because uh yeah i was just not i personally it was a very personal sin in my mind it never extended into like uh you know i never i never pushed my fantasy sort of mind that was distorted from pornography onto any of the other relationships i had with people you know and um so I, I just, uh, you know, for me, I guess that's what I mean by that line. Like, it was a very personal battle and a very personal, deep, um, yeah, dark thing that was going on with, within my own self. And that, that bottoming part, that bottoming out part was, was a couple of things. One, it was just the, the like, realization of how, how much uh of a hold it had on me you know like my my own like uh insatiable like desire to like consume it you know like to look at it to and all the stuff that's associated with it i don't want to go into detail but you know like and then and then there was there was a line that presented itself to me in that in that darkest time that was was slightly crossed and um and it was an external sort of like um like you went too far yeah yeah and uh and everything about it was was so so wrong and so and that's really where i felt like i was the biggest piece of crap you know like that um I was just like you violated someone. Oh my gosh. I wanted to I mean, really, I never I don't I, I don't think I ever considered, you know, like I don't think there was ever a moment where I considered suicide or or hurting myself. But I just felt and again, like that was going back to that moment of just such deep despair, such la, la, loss of control over over my life over my mind, my imagination, my heart, like self-loathing, self-loathing, helplessness. I felt so incredibly helpless, so incredibly hopeless. And, um, yeah, I mean, I wept in that, in that moment. It was very awkward. And, um, uh, because, (laughs) you know, there was, there was somebody else present and, but I, I wept because I was like, it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I saw myself and I was like, 
this is not you're at the you're at the depths of like just yeah yeah this is not who i am it's not who i should be it's not who god wanted me to be yeah 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 a very come to jesus moment for me well so um okay so i mean that that makes sense like in terms of like you you had some sort of limit that you like your conscience imposed on you but you gave yourself a lot of latitude and permission on the inside of that line and which tells me that you you know you you obviously you had kind of a strong sense of the relational implications of of all of that and yeah. there was you know obviously maybe you were raised or you you were taught that that you know whereas it it's interesting in comparison to my experiences that I it is I very much acted that out in the, right. in the context yeah, yeah. Very of, of relationships but for me it was well it's a long story but you know I was always I wasn't promiscuous in the sense that I was like running around with lots of people I always had like a serious like sure. you know exclusive girlfriend but I um you know I think I I always wanted to be um you know, I wanted to be married, and I just wanted to. It, it, for me, the way I looked at it is like I just always wanted to sort of like play house and pretend like I was living in a state of life that mm-hmm. I in fact wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And uh, no matter how hard I tried to square the round, you know, the round peg or whatever that expression is, it never, it never worked. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't reconcile um, the ideal that I held with, in fact, the reality of what I was like what I was trying to live day to day, you know, especially my college years. So know? let me, let me ask you a question about that. Cause I, I want to understand this a little bit more. Was, was that, was, was your, uh, foray into, you know, like sexual relationships, was that driven primarily by a sexual urge or was that driven primarily by something else? You know? Like yeah. A, I think it was, I mean, you know, to give it, <laughs> I guess the deepest spin on it. I think I had a real need um, for a sense of emotional connectivity. Yeah, yeah. And and of because I think I was trying to fill a hole in myself that should have been maybe filled in other ways. Well, it should have been filled yeah. in other ways for sure. But yeah. But um, and and there's a tendency I think in all of us to um, when we try to fill that void, we can eroticize what is otherwise a a natural and good desire, which is a desire for emotional connection. And I think, I, I mean, without going into all the details, I think a lot of that just falls down to the fact that I always felt like a like a little bit of a social outcast on the outside looking in. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there was a certain self-validation and in, in landing a serious relationship with someone who kind of like desired me in that way. And then it, it fulfilled a sense of wanting to, you know, like wanting to have this kind of exclusive relationship. But it was a very codependent and emotionally. These yeah. relationships were very unhealthy and dysfunctional, and yeah. kind of like cultivated that insecurity in both mm. both of us. So you know, it, it. I don't think it was that I was just a perverty kind of like. It it was it yeah, was yeah. a missed yeah. place, and yeah. I think sexual uh, addiction most often the the case is is that that sure. is what it is. It sure. just you know, like we're trying to meet a more fundamental need but i think what's interesting is that like you said mine <clears throat> mine like my my lowest point was this um it's weird i you know i 
I had a respect, like you said, like I, I really did respect um, the girls that I was in a relationship with, you know, like dating and stuff like that. I, I never pressured, never, there was never, there was never a sense of me to like put that on them. And so like I loved and treated other people well, but I treated myself really poorly, you know, and I, that's still something that, that I do. There's like some lingering you know, self, uh, I don't want to say self-hatred because I don't hate myself at this point, but just trying, you know, like the process of getting over that, the lingering effect of, of that. And so it comes out in various ways. Like I still struggle with self, uh, not treating myself well in various ways, you know, and is that like eating a whole bag of potato chips? Eating a whole bag of potato chips, you know, like, yeah. And I, or or drinking, you know, like sometimes to excess. Not, you know, like it's been a while since I've like, you know, really been uh, <laughs> loaded. But um, so that's what I mean. Like it's it's tapering off. But man, it is a it's a long process, you yeah. know, of treating myself well, of loving myself the way that I should, you yeah. know. And yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think any form of intemperance is is a kind of you know, you can describe it different ways. You can say sort of like the love of your flesh or, you know, to the contempt of your good. But, uh, but it's also, it it's also can be described, I think, as, as you're not taking actually proper care of yourself. And through an indulgence, you're actually, you're actually trying to satiate something. That, 100%. Yes. You know, so you're trying to make the potato chips or the beer or, the pornography do some kind of work for you that in fact only god can do or or meaningful relationships it's as if you were sitting yeah. in my most recent confession my time with confession <laughs> <laughs> well that's but it, it 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 really is true and i think it's important to kind of look at it that way because i think sometimes we can be disgusted by people's weakness of flesh and not realizing that there there's a big gaping hole in the in the center of our souls um, that we try to fill up I mean, it's kind of a funny image, but it's like God wants to live in that place, but we're trying to fill it up with potato chips mm, yeah, or, you yeah. know, whatever whatever it is that we're eating and consuming um, to satisfy a, Can I, an urge yeah. that is really a longing for God. But You just said something that, that just sparked this thought in my mind of, like, the realization that when I was in the depths of my own personal battles with these things, I projected... I projected that onto other people. In other words, if I saw someone um, who that I knew was involved with some kind of like you know sin or something a little bit more public, I would almost be like, if I sensed that they weren't fighting a battle, you know, this is so ridiculous, but if I sensed that they were just sort of mindlessly doing this, and I would be like. I would be super judgy, you know, yeah. and um, and it's funny because whenever I finally came to that depth, uh, and and had an experience of my own need for you know like for a real real dose of the real mercy of God, I I became much more compassionate for other people, you know, like and less less like oh well, the you know that person doesn't seem like they're just doing it they don't care blah 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 and. And now it's like, 
you know, now I understand that. I understand that the about that hole in that person's heart that's that, you know, they're subconsciously or trying to fill in some way, maybe even consciously, but but it's yeah, I mean, it's really, I mean, the, the Bible would just describe that as an, as idolatry, you know, but that is you're making some, something else first in your life or at the center, and, you're, and the irony of it is you're trying to make some creature or created thing mm-hmm. do for you what only the uncreated, you know, goodness of God can do for you, you know, um, I, I mean you as in everybody. Uh, that's just, that's what we do, and that, and we... And that's the sad tragedy of it is that we worship and worship and worship at the God of whatever, and it and we're just we we're always hungry or we're yeah. always needy. Hmm. Um, so it's it's sad, but but I guess I'm like like to shift a little bit. Like so, how what did how did God talk about how God w- worked in you um, to help you move in a good direction? And, yeah, and and kind of be healed of that yeah yeah it's a i mean fantastic question um so just just going back to that moment of of weeping in in a sense of like uh total total like like who am i um i i remember i went home um and and I was just, I had this, I had this feeling of like numbness. Like I didn't know where to go from there. And, um, and at the same time, uh, you know, or around that time, um, maybe shortly after I, uh, yeah, I went, I, I had the opportunity to go to confession, you know, this, this opportunity with, somebody that I, I didn't know, you know, because there was no way I was going to even remotely confess uh, some of these things to some, <laughs> to a priest that I knew. So I did. And oh my gosh, I was like, even that, that alone, that fear, that like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't utter these things. I can't say this thing. And, um, but, but finally going in and, uh, as soon as I opened my mouth, it was, I was, I was bawling. Like I I was bawling to the point that like I had to grab the Kleenexes and blow my nose (laughs) over, you know, this guy, this poor guy, like was probably like, I probably barely could understand what I was saying, but it was the first time that, and I hadn't been to confession in a long time. And it, and it was the first time that I think I truly just laid out, laid out my heart, you know, to God, and truly expressed a con- a level of contrition in in my in myself that I had never really done. Like I was, I was really, really deeply sorry, and I really deeply wanted, um, you know, mercy, and. Uh, so I feel like that was the first, that was like the first big moment of coming back up out of that valley. So, so we sort of call that the second baptism of tears. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I baptized my, my shirt and my face and my <laughs> pants with, with well, tears. But so. tell me, like, like, okay, so what triggered the emotional eruption inside of you? Like, do you remember, like, 
Was in, it something the priest said, or was it? It no. was a. Was there an awareness of? Yes, like, it was a. It was whenever I started to vocally, when I started to vocalize those things, like when I gave a voice to those things that were weighing, weighing so heavily on me. Yeah. They, I mean, they were burdens. They were burdens that I that otherwise in my life I had kept hidden yeah. from everybody, and you so know, it's like God gave you the strength to. Be honest. Yes. Yes. And that alone Truthful. was so humbling. Like, it was just so humbling. Yeah. And freeing. Yes. Humbling and freeing all at once. And, it, yeah, like, it was like, here, Lord, this is yours. Uh, I can't I can't do this anymore. I can't carry these things anymore. I can't, like, I, yeah, and I want it. I was, I think I had, I think I, you know, had hang-ups about confession at that point. And, um, but I just wanted it. I, I really did. Uh, it was hard and it was a battle to get in there and to do it. But after coming out of it and I was able to go into adoration and, and just sit with the Lord, like continuing to cry and continuing to, and like, you know, the, the priest did say some things and uh, gave me a penance that was so perfectly relevant for what I needed. And, uh, it was, it was a freedom. It was a freedom. It wasn't a freedom from, you know, it's not as if like a switch yeah. went off and it was a freedom from the temptation or the, the habits that, that I had developed in myself. But it was the beginning of like uh, just a regular, like that re confession became a regular thing for me, like monthly. So it was the realization that even though I would fall again, not in the same way and not to the same depth, but fall uh, to to like in in the habitual consumption of pornography, but um, it was like I knew I needed that again. I needed God's grace and His mercy on a monthly basis for that. You know, like sometimes it was even more. So, um, but it, it was yeah. So yeah. Well, the freedom I think is really the unloading of a burden, and uh, and the, the there's a kind of joy I think of stepping in to the light and not cowering in the dark anymore mm -hmm. because you're, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned the judginess because I think when we're in denial uh, and when we're kind of blind to our own faults, we have a tendency to project our dysfunction onto other people <laughs> and see everybody else. Like we, we, first of all, for me anyway, yeah, I, I assume that every, you, like yeah. everybody has the same problem I have, which isn't true. Yeah you know, or whatever that problem is. And then, but the other thing is, is when you do encounter someone that has that same problem, um, it's easy to kind of feel contempt towards that individual because I, the way I put it is like, well, there's just, like, if you're honest with yourself, it's like there's just too much of me around me. Like, I, I can't be around that because because I'm seeing what I hate in myself and this other person and the, the sort of, like, this is what Jesus, I think, means when he mm. talks about the sliver versus the log, you know? Yeah, yeah. The log in our own eye is like, you know, like we, we become hypersensitive to the faults of other people because we're blinded by the log in our own eye. And when we finally are humble enough to step into the light, what exactly what happens is when we become more um, grounded in the mercy of God, the mercy God has for us in our weakness then we're capable of being merciful and compassionate towards people that have the same weakness. Yeah. And there's a real direct correlation. Like, you, you can't escape that. So I always tell people, 
tell myself this all the time, or I just notice it in myself. It's like when I'm really getting agitated with someone, I've learned to say, okay, Lord, mm. what is it in me? Like this, there's something in me that's that's being triggered here, and I'm sure that I, I think that I'm not the one with this problem. They are, mm. but I'm probably the one with the problem, yeah. and I'm doing the same thing, yeah. and I hate that about myself. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, you, you his clever way of making it's almost like a mirror. People's faults are like a mirror we look into, uh, where we look back, you see our own reflection, and the contempt that we have. But we have to learn uh, in a healthy way, I think, to look inward. Well, and say this is me. I'm the one. Yeah, I this whole experience for me, this whole kind of conversion experience, has most definitely. Uh, that is probably the biggest, one of the biggest transformational aspects of it is uh, not being so, <laughs> not being so judgy, not being so rigid and assuming that every, every person's sin is, you know, because they're just hard-hearted, hard-hearted, or they're just, bad people, or yeah. they're, they, they uh, it just made me realize the depth and the complexity of why you know what what might be the motivations or the circumstances around why people do the things they do and i know sometimes uh, like when i'm talking with people who are more like uh you know traditionally like black and white in their life my response sometimes irks them because it seems like i'm being too wishy-washy but the truth is i'm just approaching it with that memory of myself in my own head leading with mercy and un trying to understand the person versus just laying a blanket of like bad good right wrong and i i, I don't i those things do exist but it anyway for me it's it's complex and so um i have a tendency now in my life to to be more like patient and trying to understand things yeah. so and, and just to, i mean to tie that to what to sort of the framework like that's self-knowledge. That's growing in the knowledge of truth, growing in a in greater self-awareness, and integrating yourself so that you can move out towards other people in charity and love. Like that, praise God. Yeah, that's happened. and that's so. <laughs> right. It, it's, there's a real psychology and there's a real process to that mm. that God affects. This is what grace is. Grace is moving us through this. Yeah. This sort of process of transformation, and that's part of the experience of it. Is is that contrition is really a moment of self-awareness where we're, we finally have the courage to stand in the truth yeah. and uh, look at it and then, and then recognize how much God loves us anyway. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of like breaks us down. Yeah. Well, that it, real quick. And then I want, I want to hear like your kind of how the same questions, you know, like your process of coming out of that moment and where God was kind of working on you specifically but I, I also want to say this, like, I, in a way, I'm really thankful that that the depth of the depravity I felt was so deep, because I think if I had just been a sort of casual consumer, and I, I probably could have talked to myself, justified myself to this day, you know, like, it really was... Um, it was a, it was kind of like a, I had to make a decision, you know, like at that point. And, um, it, it almost forced my hand and I'm, I'm super grateful for that because, uh, 
it would be again it would be very easy for me to justify well you know like yeah pornography it's kind of like a part of my life but it's not everybody, that it's not that big of a deal everybody does everybody it. does it yeah so um you know if i would for those people who do struggle with with kind of a casual sort of sin or whatever i think that self awareness is harder to come by because it it's easy to come by whenever you have a really like, slap in the face kind of moment. Yeah. So yeah, when you bottom out. Yeah. That's I mean that's a grace, honestly, and that's part of the experience is that I think the Lord lets us run <coughs> on that road until we run into a wall. <laughs> right. And that's a mercy. That's a grace. Like yeah. Um, in fact, sometimes if we know people um, that are really stuck and hardened and in, in, in deep sin, to pray. That the floor falls out mm. from underneath them is a is a, is a good prayer. Yeah, like yeah. You, you kind of want them to wreck, you know, yeah. not to be lost, but to come to their senses, as it were, yeah. you know. And and uh, so I look back on those experiences and in my own life, and I'm thankful mm. that God had the patience to let me run um, my course, as it were, you know, in a sense because I I do think it it brought about a deeper conversion yeah. in me and yeah and uh and in his wisdom he can use all of that so go into that like yeah know. well you know like i left off there were kind of two aspects to where i was where i was really struggling one was in my intellectual life so i was i was embracing a lot of theology that was that was really you know not christian not catholic and so I was really my my thinking was way off, and mm. it made me proud and arrogant, um, because I was I was you know always trying to make reality fit into my <laughs> ideas, yeah, and knew and was certain that I was right, and I was kind of right about a lot of things, but I was kind of really wrong about a lot of things too, and I yeah. and I and I needed the light of truth to illuminate my mind and uh so and then the other part was the moral part that i've already talked about mm -hmm. so i i needed conversion and during this like three-year period of time in which i was really going through the kind of the transition um i guess the first thing that happened is, is i i really experienced a an intellectual conversion and um, how so well, I I ended up at this this conference, and I met someone there who I to, I told them I said yeah I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead that's ridiculous <laughs> you know and I had all my you know very intelligent and smart naturalistic rationalist answers and the, what kind of conference was this? Well, it was it was a conference that was run through the Acton Institute, so okay. it was more on like kind of like social ethics. And, okay and uh liberty and so whether you believe jesus rose from the dead or not didn't matter <laughs> well that wasn't really the topic at hand <laughs> yeah. but but you know father sirico who's the founder you know of the acton institute was very instrumental in my intellectual conversion mm. because i mean in fact i think he wears it like a patch because huh. i i mean i argued on the i went on several of their event you know their conferences and and i really bent his ear pretty hard on mm. all my modern historical critical theories about this that and the other thing and yeah and i mean you know he's a smart guy and he didn't let me uh mm. you know 
run all over him. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Yeah. But he, I think, recognized my sort of innate intellectual gifts and and invested a lot of his energy in trying to help me get straightened out and sorted out. Mm. So I'm I'm very grateful for that. Um, it was another person that worked for Acton though that that really put the issue of the resurrection, and it was really simple actually. But he just went through and explained how each of the apostles were martyred, and even how John. Uh, who who didn't die a martyr, but was was uh, at one point allegedly boiled in oil, like like they tried to kill him and they didn't succeed. Um, and and I knew that like in my historical studies, yeah, because I studied ancient history and and biblical history and stuff, mm-hmm. and that was sort of kind of my angle intellectually into that into theology. But but he, um, I just remember he kind of recounted how each of the apostles died and then said, so basically what you're telling me is that all of these men died these horrible and excruciating deaths for something that they knew was false. And I mean, it was like scales Mm. falling off my eyes. I thought to myself, that's actually crazy. There's no way anybody would do that. No Mm. one would perpetuate a lie like that at the expense of their own pain and and torture and all of that. And I and I literally just instantly was like, okay, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that, I remember I was standing at the bottom of the stairwell at this conference center having this conversation with him. Was it humbling for you? Was it like... Well, it, I, you know, I mean, I think later it was. I think in the moment it was more like I was always hungry for the truth. I, I was searching for the truth. It wasn't like... Oh yeah, I have all the answers. It's just that in my quest, I thought I had the answers, yeah. but I didn't. Yeah, and so I would doggedly defend and fight my premises until someone could dismantle them. It's like the game of Jenga. You know, it's like if you pull out the right one, then my whole argument collapses. I was willing to say, okay, I'll change my mind on that. Mm. So I, I, because I was always a truth seeker, I wanted to know the truth. I just was sincerely wrong about a lot of things, and then to I wasn't docile enough, and I wouldn't listen enough to people if, if they they couldn't match my arguments. You know, well, mm. Father Sharico and some yeah, other yeah. people, they they could. I, mean, I don't know they, if we would have been friends. Yeah, like <laughs> probably not. I was. <laughs> I mean, I had another friend friend to me friend say to me one time. He's like, you know, the problem with you, Terry, and this sounds like a contradiction of what I just said, but he used to say, you know, you always you always want you always seek victory. And never the truth. Now, I knew what he meant. That is, you always argue about everything. Everything's an argument for you. Yeah. And uh, and, and that was true. I was very argumentative. I mean, I dueled and sparred with everybody. But, but I also did have a sincere hunger to know the truth. And I was always willing to change my mind if I could. I was like Thomas. You know, I was born on the Feast of St. Thomas, July 3rd. <laughs> So I needed evidence. I needed proof. You know, let me stick my finger in your wounds, right. and then I'll then right. I will believe. And you know, it's interesting because in that story of Thomas, he's the first apostle to make the profession, "My Lord and my God." He's the first one to to say that Jesus was God. Yeah. So that's kind of like very similar to me. It's like you know, as soon as I could be convinced of the truth, then like. Like there was nothing that was going to stop me. I was like a, you know, like an unstoppable force of apologetics, and you yeah, know, like I, I wanted to, you know, just really go out there. But so, in terms of your intellectual conversion, you're you you're coming back to that specific memory. 
that guy like laying out a logical argument you know why why is that moment so significant for you well because once i accepted the resurrection mm. as true then i believed then everything else then all the cards else. fell well everything fell into its place it's yeah. like you know it, it, i always use this example it's like when we believed that the earth was the center of the solar system our mathematical models to explain the movement of the planets was super complicated and as soon as Copernicus realized that now the sun's at the center, then all of a sudden it was very easy to explain all the other data points. Mm -hmm. And then the models got really simple. Well, once you accept the resurrection, you can't understand Christianity if you don't understand the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And once you believe in the resurrection, every other claim that is made about Jesus is easily accepted. Mm, wow. So that's why Paul says, look, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're all a bunch of idiots. We're the biggest fools in the world. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then everything we say is true. Wow. So, so that, that, that really happened to me. Like, yeah. that's exactly wow. what happened. So I went from doubt about everything to belief in everything in a single moment. Wow. And did you realize that in that moment? Oh, yeah. I just all of a sudden it was like, and then I, I can't remember. It was like, it was right around that time or it might have been the year later I went to Rome. And I was on a pilgrimage with this choir that I had joined. I mentioned that last time my friend yeah, invited me in this yeah. choir. We, we got to go on tour in Rome. We were pretty good. So Jeez. we um and we got to sing for the Pope, John Paul II. No. Right? No, no, but Grammys. hey, we, we sang for the Pope at a Jeez. Wednesday audience wow. and he came over to us and we got to talk to him. So I got to stand as far uh, two feet away from Pope Tell John him Paul how II. you didn't believe the in the <laughs> resurrection. Well I was you know, I was like I was I was reorienting myself intellectually and trying to get all the pieces. Yeah. Um, there's another part of the story, don't let me forget, to tell you about when I was teaching. But I, the, the thing that happened for me at the Mass, we were at the High Mass, and it was a Sunday after Easter, so that would be Divine Mercy Sunday. It wasn't official on the calendar, but it was being celebrated by John Paul II. Okay. So he was celebrating Divine Mercy before it was an official feast on that Sunday. And when he elevated the host, I had this, like... Like this sudden realization, like it—I don't know how to explain it. It's not like I didn't give my intellectual assent before that, but all of a sudden it was like I just had this deep, deep sense. It's like it's all true. Hmm. It's all true. Like there's no reason for me to be standing here. I'm—it's two thousand years later. I'm here at the tomb of St. Peter. The successor of Peter is elevating the Eucharist. There's people from every nation of the world gathered together celebrating the Mass. This I I'm, the, it was this is the gravitational center of the entire universe. Mm. This place right here and it's all true. It's all true. And and it just it, it hit my heart. Yeah. It went from my head to my heart yeah, at that moment. Yeah. But that was part of the journey and I think wow. the the interesting thing is I I taught high school in year 1 uh and I was I was lost. And it was at the end of that school year that I had this conference experience. Okay. And I had the opportunity the next year to teach exactly the same class. And I literally, and, and in that summer, the chaplain gave me a copy of the catechism and said, read this. And I read the whole thing, like beginning to mm -hmm. end. And I remember thinking to myself, this makes more sense to me than anything I've ever learned in my entire life. It was the most powerful experience because it was so coherent like all the pieces just like fit so beautifully together. Yeah. So I came back the huh. next year, had the same class, the same students, and I completely 
untaught them everything I taught them the year before and taught them wow. the, the Catholic faith. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I mean, that, that goes wild. back to that goes back to a previous podcast about like, you know, reading the sources for ourselves, you know, yeah. and but especially through the through a, a correct lens. Like, I mean, I'm sure the guys that you that you learned your your weirdo theology from read, maybe not, but read stuff, but just interpret it their own way. So, I mean, wow! Praise God! That is that's in, that's incredible. So what um so that's your intellectual conversion and then where like where did you see God moving most specifically in like a a moral conversion for yourself Well so that was that was that came after the intellectual conversion and okay. so towards the end of that 3 year window I made the decision to go to Franciscan and that's a whole other story which maybe I'll tell another day but mm-hmm. But I made the decision, um, felt led there. God led me to Franciscan, and and I knew that it was time to change my life. And I had a I had a number of really bad habits. Um, one of which was I, I had a foul mouth. Like I had a very foul mouth. Like I used like worse than now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally <laughs> Actually, kidding. sometimes it still comes out. I'll be honest. But okay, but wait. But let me let me just kinda, ask this. Kind of big and bad words all the time. Wow. So okay. So the intellectual conversion was the impetus for this. Okay. Now everything is true. Like it's all falling into place for me. It makes sense, and that means this for how I act and how I live. My I, life. It's time to bring my life into conformity oh, with what yeah. I know to be true, and so I remember that there were certain habits. And when I went to Steubenville and it was kind of convenient that there was this transition in my life because I said, I just made a list. I said, the moment I step into my car and start driving, these things are going to stop. I'm not doing them anymore. Wow. And uh, now I have to say that years later, under uh, under lots of life stress, uh, certain habits began, like I used to describe it as the demons of my past began to appear in the bay window of my soul mm. and reminding me that I w- they were there for me if I needed them. And, and, and I did have some falls, you know, uh, years later, um, you know, bad words like the F word coming back into my vocabulary in front of my kids and, um, and having to deal with my weakness under pressure. Mm. You know, it's it's easy to sail when the wind's at your back. But <laughs> as life pressed on, you know, it, it, it presses into your soul and 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 in here I think it's important because what the Lord wants to do is he wants to you know, he wants to um get down into the depths of those tap roots we talked about before. Yeah. Because the that process like He's going to allow things to surface. Like you think you're over this, but under the right conditions, guess what? You, you're not over it. Yeah. You 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 still lean into the wrong places because it's easy and convenient, and you can have a certain um, affection for those past sins that then can suddenly manifest themselves again. Uh, one of the great doctors, um, I think it's Saint, it's either Saint Teresa or Saint Catherine, talks about the little herd <laughs> that of your past sins where you can take some delight in the memory of what you used to do, even mm. though you don't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, the danger of that is, is that under the right conditions of stress, you can go right back to oh, those things. Yes. So, I, you know, those, um, so that, there was a turning point when I got to the university, I went to confession and I hadn't been in a long, I hadn't been 
to confession yet. So mm. the, the intellectual conversion was work creeping its way slowly down into my heart. And this is probably, I don't know, like a year later. So, and that sounds crazy. Some people are like, you didn't go to confession? I'm like, yeah, I didn't go to confession. Like, yeah, actually, nobody even mentioned here. that I should do that. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I did, and uh, and and I had the sim- similar experience. I just totally like broke down and started crying, and and that was followed by this period of tremendous peace and tranquility in my soul, and uh, the Lord gave me a you know like sort of a taste of heaven, like this is what you're working towards. Mm-hmm. Someday, you will feel this all the time, but wow. so it's sort of like you know the liberation of coming out of Egypt with all the spoils. You know, you feel pretty good, and then you get to go into the desert. And in mm-hmm. the desert is where you really, you know, I always like to say you learn faith, hope, and love. And so, you know, as life goes on, you know, those those deeper taproots of our capital sins, you know, begin to come back. And, and we have to do some more work and we have to surrender in a deeper way. And and for me, in the intellectual department, that that's come in the form of pride, you know, um, working hard to get a doctorate and then... And then feeling better than everybody, because mm. you know I, I I know the truth now, but now you know, however many years, fifteen years it's been since getting my doctorate. You know, the Lord's had to really humble me and mm. and uh, teach me to be little in my own estimation, and and so it goes on. Like I I could go on and on like this, but you know what I'm saying. Well, like, what's what's amazing is that I I personally have gotten to witness this, like. You know what, what are you saying? I was arrogant. <laughs> Can I ask before? No, well, no, no, not entirely. Um, no, you've always been a nice guy, but what what I what I've witnessed in this ongoing conversion, like you're talking about, is is a a growth in um, in humility. Like you know, you're and curiosity. I would say, like maybe your story beforehand was like the balance between curiosity and conviction, you know, like was, was probably something that was a real struggle. And I feel like the, you know, you're still convicted in, in what you believe to be true, but I feel like that truth is based on something true, (laughs) you know, like verse before, but you also have like, what I've witnessed is this real deep growth in curiosity. Like, yeah, just being way more curious about understanding the depths of something and not being so not being so convicted that what you believe right now is ultimately the only thing the only thing that there is and that's that's a really beautiful thing the other thing i wanted to say was um that uh that i love that the similarity in our stories uh, kind of a hinging moment is confession like a a real confession not just going in at like a kid's second grader confession and which rattling. i have i had done yeah yeah so you're oh, right in pointing that out right, like i had right. i didn't really pour my heart out like a like a, a pouring out of i can't i can't i like a giving up you know like in and just a, like a real cry of the heart that's like lord i i absolutely can't do this anymore without your help, you know, like, and I know I've been doing it. I've been trying to do it on my own in so many different ways. Yeah. Like a confession of total surrender. And isn't it amazing how he shows up in that moment? Oh my God. Life changing. Like he, Life he, changing. he often won't show up. Yes. I mean, he's there, but we don't perceive his, his presence 
until we get to that moment. And we always Amen. think, you know, how come you're never there? It's like, because you're not ready to see my face. Yeah, I know. You're too afraid of me. And so it, we, you know, probably might want to wrap this up soon. But a question I have is like, you know, we both have kids, adult children. I have I have some younger children. My my like uh, my desire for them is to not have to have the bottoming out moment to really, really know and love and walk with the Lord. Um, but it seems like for so many people and myself included that like that was part of my life. Um, I, how do you how do you do it? Like, I mean, it seems like it, it seems like there are people out there that love the Lord without necessarily having a. Uh, a rock bottom moment. Um, how do you think that happens? Like, well, because I'm a perfect parent now, <laughs> I have a perfect answer to that question. I love it. Yes. <laughs> no. I mean, yeah. How, how does that happen? I think what you're asking is how does it happen that, like, how do you help your children? How do you prevent your children from having a, a bottom out? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure there is any. It's not a formula. You right. know, it's not a science. It's not even an. It's, it's even less than an art. I mean, it, you know, art you can... And, and the reason why is because there's always freedom on the other end of that equation. So, obviously, we want to be the most loving parents we can. And I think that what we have to learn with our kids, in hindsight, you know, I got better at this between number one and number four, but we, we have to learn to let our kids fall when the fall isn't very far. And instead of coming down on them and shaming them and making them feel bad and disciplining them harshly or being permissive and just letting them get mm-hmm. away with it, we have to enter into that experience with them and we have to we have to we have to guide them through that experience, help them become more curious and more attentive to what happened and how it happened and mm-hmm. why it happened and how what you need what needs to happen so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And I think that as we as we do that in the little ways, when the kids, you know, like kids are short because when they fall, they don't fall very far, and it doesn't they don't get that hurt. When right. an adult falls, it's it's a lot harder yeah, because yeah, you're yeah. you're falling farther and you got more weight. Well, that's that's a perfect analogy for the moral life. Yeah, your moral falls when you're five are mm-hmm. pretty relatively insignificant, but they're not. They're very important from the developmental standpoint sure. of your child's moral life. So. I, I think if I have, you know, any hindsight uh, wisdom to share, it's it's um, don't be surprised when your kids fail. Uh, expect it and, and get right in there with them and, uh, and be in the mud with them and help them um, come out of that experience more wise, more attentive, more aware of what is to be learned in that experience. And don't ever make them feel ashamed of themselves mm. because, you know, we all yeah. know that we yeah. were there. We did yes. it too. And... And um, and I wasn't like that with my oldest kids. I was always like, how? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Like, how could you, you know, yeah. like, really? You know, so I, I think that it's, um, and then the hope is, is that if we help them through the little falls when they're little, they, they will learn enough to not make the big falls when they're bigger. Mm. And the other thing is, is that when they get into trouble, they'll talk to you. Yeah. When they're in their teen years and they trust you because, you know, they know how much you love them when they're, weak and failing, they'll talk to you. They'll come to you before it gets out of control, yeah. and they won't hide it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's what I've learned, and, and all I can say is that I got better at that as I went, but, oh, I wish I knew that when I was starting. Mm. Wow. That's good. Any, uh, 
Do you want to? This is your topic, so do you want to? Well, close it out in any special way? <laughs> no, no, that's that's good. Yeah, good. I mean that's 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 really good to end on. Well, gosh, I could sit here and talk for another twenty minutes. Well, it, this. I mean, okay, I will say this. Ah, false, false ending. <laughs> I will say this <laughs> that you know conversion is an ongoing experience and. There are things that are deeply embedded within our psyches, our souls, our hearts, whatever, however you want to put that. So I think part of being a disciple and being a Christian is not that we ever really attain perfection in this life. Mm-hmm. It's that we're always open to being perfected by the Lord. And we just have to be humble enough and trusting enough in God's love and mercy um, that as we are able to open our wounds to him and let him keep healing us, He's a divine physician. And even if we fall for the thousandth time, literally, in the same way, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- that F-bomb still flies out of my mouth every once in a while. I know people can't believe that, but it does. And my kids hear it, but you know what? My kids don't use that word, which I think is amazing. They think it's ugly, and my wife thinks it's ugly, and I think it's ugly, Yeah. but I always apologize. Yeah. And I always tell my kids, don't follow my example. Yeah. I, I formed a bad habit when I was younger, and I'm still trying to break it. Mm. And uh, I'm still trying to let the Lord, because it's not the word. It's the, the, the it's how I react when I feel that I've lost control of something. And the Lord's learning learning me, teaching me how to not need control. Yeah. And when I feel like I don't need control, then I'm at peace when things don't go the way I want them to. And that's the deeper taproot. Yeah. Well, I may be working on it. You know, if it's any indication, my father who died at 96, (laughs) he finally got a control of his tongue by the time (laughs) he was about 88. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, like, it's just, we have to be at peace um, with the process of of growing and maturing and not be too hard on ourselves and just keep entrusting ourselves into the Lord's loving hands Mm -hmm. because he will continue to fashion and mold us like the potter, you know, does with the Mm -hmm. clay. And we just have to, we have to go with it to go with it we can't resist it that's good it's good stuff let's let's put the period right there the punctuation mark and all right exclamation point yes <laughs> all right all right man well yeah. that was awesome all right have a good one you too Bye. the wise guys podcast is a production of preambule group a catholic ministry dedicated to helping you thrive in the heart of jesus visit us on the web at preambula.org and follow us on social media 